It's the second part of our record label special with Chris Cusack and Mark Fraser from the Unsung Podcast. We went into great depth on Discord Records last week, but this week we're talking about JTree Records, a label neither Fran or I had ever heard of. Who's on there? What kind of music? Uh, some absolutely batshit music is what's on there, as you will see. And if you saw the social media posts, there's been a lot of double entendres, so I hope you enjoy. Oh, hang on. Yeah, what are we calling this podcast? <laughs> Was it over underrated? Over underrated. Sous évalué. Überschätzt. Welcome back to part two. We're discussing another record label, not from DC, but the suburbs of DC, I suppose is how it's been built. So guys, what is your pick for an underrated record label? It has uh, the legendary Jade Tree Records. Uh, should be should be mentioned in the same sentence, Discord Records, <laughs> um, but has not been for a very long time. Why did you pick it? I think... Um, Let's let's go back to the start. This this that record label started in nineteen ninety and it exists because of Discord Records, right? They were influenced by Discord Records, and um, lots of lots of really great record labels were influenced by Discord Records. We went over that quite a lot in the last episode, so I won't won't go over old ground with that. Um, but I think Chris and I both felt that there was more that we connected with. There's more interesting things on here, more diverse things on here as well. And record label like to take chances and and. In a way that Discord didn't, um, and I think they were overlooked as a result. I think uh, Jade Tree deserves a bit of credit because they took a they took cer- certain lessons from Discord. They were very heavily influenced by it. You couldn't be operating in DC and not be heavily in- influenced by it. They had a previous imprint from '87 called Action Pact. I think it was called with an X Action Pact, and then they kind of changed that into Jade Tree and kind of changed the remit of it a wee bit. And f- the things that they implemented from that Discord model were the kind of community responsibility, uh, trying to develop the scene, um, that 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 kind of side of things. But over the years, they seemed a bit broader in their musical tastes, and I think they were slightly more ambitious. They didn't have that. I mean, I'm not saying that Discord were anti-capitalist, but you know. Discord and Fugazi and those kind of bands had like price caps on stuff. They were really careful about uh, not engaging uh, entirely with uh, the capitalist scene. Uh, J Tree didn't do that, but it wasn't as their identity wasn't as you know all tied up in that. It was more of a this is a small label that wants to put out records. I think they got Distro through Touch and Go. Touch and Go were a very right on you know, label as well, Touch and Go didn't actually use contracts either, something we mentioned we're talking about Discord and it came back and bit them Um, but Jaytree just seemed a bit less uh, a bit less at the mercy of people's expectations a bit bit less sort of defined by their austere seriousness and there was more wiggle room as a result in terms of what they could engage with and I yeah, like as Mark says, I think I probably, with the exception of Agassi, I probably listen to more Jade Tree records now than I do Discord records. I think they've lasted the test of time a bit more, and there's greater diversity. And it's it's interesting actually because there'll be there'll be records that you listen to and you're like, I forgot that was Jade Tree, mm-hmm. and because it doesn't automatically sound like Jade Tree. 
I think also the history of Jade Tree itself is a bit more a bit more interesting in the sense that, you know, Discord seemed to always be steady and a going concern. Jade Tree wasn't, you know, when touching go downsized and you know, in two thousand and nine they kinda led Jade Tree to downsize, which meant a lot that they didn't have a lot of bands on the go anymore. And then they kind of they've kind of grown since then and then they, their their entire catalogue was purchased by Epitaph Records in twenty seventeen. Getting purchased by Epitaph Records actually tells you pretty much all you need to know about the influence of this record label. You know, um that a label that was also an indie. Uh, way back, way back, back in the day, FTAF Records are no longer. They're probably the biggest indie. If you really, if you point to split hairs, they're probably not an indie anymore. But um, the fact that they seen that there's value in that and in, in, in obtaining that catalogue tells you that there's definitely something here which deserves greater attention. That's a really good point. Yeah, somebody was like, this stuff can't be allowed to just be deleted or to sink into obscurity. There's too much great music, uh, you know, within the the back catalogue of Jade Tree and Epitaph did us all a service, I think, by making sure that could still be found. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, when I was messaging my ex-boyfriend and telling him like, oh, you know, I'm talking about Jade Tree, hot, hot water music, he was like, they went on Jade Tree, they were on Epitaph. And I was like, ah, but did you know in 2016? He's like, oh, I suppose it's because they did the split. And I was like, again, all going over my head. But it, I, yeah, I wanted to ask you a bit more about the formation of it because it seems to be formed by these two guys, Darren Walters and Tim Owen, who met at a punk show in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. So were they always the one steering it? Was you know, do you think part of the success is their friendship and the fact that it's a, a partnership? I think yeah, Walters bowed out at some point to go to university, I believe. Um, I think he was just vaguely involved with that. I don't think he fully pulled away from it, okay. you know. Um, but yeah, it's always been, it's always been, I guess, own right. That's been uh, the one that's been mostly shepherding the the vision of the label, and I guess it, it falls it falls to both of them, right? But for the most part, I think. You're probably right in saying that their friendship has probably got something to do with that. Their shared love for music and and, and just really standing behind the stuff they like. I mean, let's let's be clear. It's another parallel with Discord because Discord isn't just Ian McKay's label. Mm-hmm. Jeff Nelson set it up as well. So it's another duo. And again, that's something that gets constantly forgotten. Jeff Nelson just gets written out of history. Was Jeff Nelson in bands or was he just involved in Discord Records? I actually don't know Jeff Nelson's musical background. I just know that, that both he and Ian got together and set up discord early to put out that teen idol stuff um so yeah but uh, yeah a duo and a duo a duo spawning a duo effectively mm-hmm. yeah i imagine that for your sanity it's much better to have a partner for something like this and and yeah with any kind of business it's, it's better to have two people rather than one i i, I know I, I wouldn't be able to do it without one fran i hadn't heard of j tree before mark and chris suggested it had you I hadn't heard of J Tree. I've I heard of a of a few bands on their roster. Let's compare. A, Who do you know? Alkaline Trio. Yep. Thomas Ring. Nope. And uh, Girls Against Boys are the yep. three bands I knew. <laughs> that was uh, it. I, I think I'd also heard of Pedro the Lion. That's yeah, it. yeah. I, but I thought that that was maybe more of an indie band, I think. Yeah. But I've I, not actually heard them. Are they actually punk? I, I think so, but maybe Mark and Chris. <laughs> Can you confirm? Obviously, they're an indie band. Okay. Yeah, they're kind of they're they're kind of like steam straddlers. There's a lot of crossover in them. I literally didn't know uh, the, the label at all. They sort of like became a bit more active recently, and they kind of like uh, sort of downsized in the mid in the mid noughties and then came back after yeah. five or six years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's when they were purchased. That's when Epitaph purchased their back catalogue as well to re-release a lot of their old, yeah, a lot of the old stuff on vinyl, right? 
is, yeah. uh, is what I read, yeah. But is, is, was their best period for the, the 90s? Late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. which I think pretty much all of the songs that we've picked actually cover that period. Like, the decade of, like, 98 to 2008 was kind of their, their peak era. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's the interesting thing about J-Tree, as I've seen, is a lot of people don't acknowledge who was actually involved in J-Tree, and maybe if you're not too familiar with the scene a lot of the names don't register but if you're even vaguely familiar with the post-hardcore scene the emo scene it's it's kind of astonishing to have it read out so if you don't mind indulging me for a second you got alkaline trio doing this alphabetically obviously avail legendary uh cap and jazz uh, Jazz. sex who we'll talk about uh fucked up girls against boys jets to brazil um joan of arc who were just hugely influential in that scene uh kid dynamite juno actually sorry forgot them lifetime mark can't forget them yep. uh mika p henson uh new end original which is all looped in with jonah matranga far because you had his one line drawing project as well um who else did you have you had owls who actually quite recently were still doing really well uh pedro the lion as you mentioned you had the promise ring as you mentioned uh, that that band pitch blend as well um, they were pretty highly regarded uh, amongst kind of scenesters. Strike Anywhere, I suppose. Texas is the reason. Ah, yes. Strike Anywhere. I um, remember. These Arms Are Snakes, the band that followed Botch. Um, the Turing Machine, who I'll mention. Um, and Young Widows, the Kurt Ballou produced kind of noise rock alternative rock project. Which really fucking good. Like they, they have a lot of names that crop up in the pages of fanzines. And they're all under this one umbrella, and I really don't think they get credit for that. Yeah, I mean, one band that you didn't mention, which uh, Bab's actually picked up on the point, you know, when your pal was saying about that, it's like the Hot Water Music put on it just for that split release, the Alkaline Trio, also a hugely influential band in the punk scene. Yeah, I think Fucked Up and Strike Anywhere I've I've heard of as well, and uh, I I think so I I looked at the list on the website of the of the bands, and I, I yeah maybe I missed them, but. Uh... Yeah, Strike Anywhere, definitely. I remember seeing, I feel like, a lot of logos of Strike Anywhere. Again, from my ex-boyfriend. Sorry, Phoenix, really throwing you under the bus here. <laughs> um, fucked up, I had no idea. No, they're, I mean, they're, they're pretty big. Yeah, they only released one record on on, um, on J3. I can't remember which one it was. One of the earlier ones, but yeah. Underrated. So... I'm guessing, given your your love for it, that you you've picked five songs that you really think, or f- five acts that you really think are underrated and, and should be better known, right? Definitely. Uh, no. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I okay. Have. I mean, I have. Mark, Mark picked a couple. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, let, let's get let's get straight into it. So, what's what's the first pick? The first one I've picked is Lifetime. Um, this was actually the the, the this were this were the band that kind of got them to get reinvested in the label when they heard them back in 1995. What what tra- is it? Boys not. Yeah, but the pack, the track yeah. that I've picked is "Boys No Good." Yeah, the "Boys No Good." Yeah, it's from their album "Jersey's Best Dancers," which we've actually done in our podcast, and I believe is one of the most important and influential punk records, and I guess emo records of all time. If if you go back to the last episode, there's a lot of comparison. You can hear a lot of similarities between them and Dag Nasty. Yeah, and I said in the last episode, I think there are other bands which would later go on to do what they did in a much better way, and I think Left Lifetime are one of those bands. Um. Lifetime are one of my favourite bands of all time, so I was obviously going to pick them, right? Um, uh, this song is the best song on the album. It's in my te- top 10 best punk songs of all time. It's catchy as fuck. It's been covered by loads of bands, including like Rise Against and stuff like that. It's just got a huge melody, um, and I think it's just short and sweet, and you know, I'm a fan of Brevity. 
contrary to popular belief, I'm a fan of brevity. <laughs> it's the last episode of the year show. <laughs> exactly. <did not> illustrate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think for me, Lifetime are a very underrated band. The Dan Yemen, who was in Lifetime, will later go on to form other underrated but also highly influential punk bands like Paint the Black and um, J- and Kid Dynamite. Uh, and he was also in The Loved Ones for a bit. Just to give you a brief history, um, the singer from Kid Dynamite went on to form a band called Paint the Black, who are really good. Uh, uh, sorry, called None More Black. There's too many blacks called None More Black. Um, <laughs> don't, don't clip that out, please. Um, and then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that's going to be the social media clip now, but yeah, carry on. God damn it. Um, the, lo- the Loved Ones was uh, the singer, the guy called Dave Hawes, who's since gone, who's since gone on to like, Get, get increasing acclaim as a sort of folky singer songwriter. He's doing really well for himself now. Um, and Dan Yemen's still a, a, a quite a pivotal figure in that kind of melodic hardcore, early kind of more aggressive style of pop punk from this era, from the, the late nineties to the mid two thousands and 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 onwards. Um, so yeah, hugely influential band. I can't think of any punk band that I like or that I even know that that is not influenced by this band. Um, and if they're not influenced by this band, they're influenced by another band that I've picked on this list. <laughs> so really, um, I'm kind of playing on my strengths here a wee bit. But <laughs> Chris, I feel like you're not going to be maybe as enthusiastic as Mark. Oh man, I, I'm, I am very, very picky with my, my pop punk and my melodic pop punk or my melodic hardcore, whatever. There's, yeah, I, I can, you know, I can take it or leave it. Uh, Lifetime, don't push my buttons. I actually prefer Dagnasty. I think they're raw and more interesting. But I do understand from Mark's perspective that people who are actually schooled on the scene have a lot of time for them. I think it's worth acknowledging uh, how influential they were and how much they kind of refined the formula. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a great band to have under your umbrella if you want to be in the conversation. And, you know... uh, Jade Tree, unlike Discord, did kind of go for a music that was a lot more on-the-nose, pop-punky. You know, the Discord stuff very rarely strays close to that kind of commercial territory. Um, I'm not saying Lifetime are massively commercial, but they're a little bit closer to what you might expect. Um, but, I mean, I mean, I think there are, it, it's a worthwhile mention, even though I wouldn't listen to it. It's definitely a worthwhile mention, just purely for kudos and respect and prestige and prominence yeah fran is the boy good or the boy bad the boy is quick <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i enjoyed the machine gun drums uh, dirty bass it's got like a, an 80s hair metal kind of vibe and i put down post billy idol oi vocals um <laughs> yeah that's real good. a nice short punk quickie and i put down i would not want to be that boy yeah, I think the album's less than half an hour long, mate. So. Oh, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I like that. Um, like King Adora, if you remember that band. King Adora, um, yeah, King of course. Yeah. Glam rock from London? Yeah, well, Birmingham. I think Birmingham, yeah. The Birmingham, album's like 22 minutes long. Wow. But, um, anyway, Babs, enough about King Adora. Um, yeah, definitely from what we've heard. Um, I enjoyed the baseline on this, but I'm afraid that's about it. Yeah, I'm I, melodic anything is not usually my cup of tea, and pop punk really is a genre I probably would say I dislike uh I and I, n- I never got into emo 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 didn't push my buttons either so that's why I'm, I'm so ignorant about so much of the you know the these bands and especially any kind of origin bands I, I don't know them either uh the drums at the beginning almost sound like they're out of time which is maybe the the point of it but it really 
threw me off. I, I didn't mm-hmm. like it. Um, but interesting to hear about how, yeah, again, another influential band that I'd never heard of. <laughs> it seems to be the theme. Um, and well, going to what I heard of, just going back quickly, I I wondered why I had why with strike anywhere that you mentioned i was like logos they had that very striking logo with the three arrows i've just looked it up and i i'm pretty yeah. sure i saw that logo doodled or stamped whatever the place that's why and it's, yes, so, yeah. it's so funny because like that's i i that's all i could remember that it was very like buried in my memory but very good branding there guys well done <laughs> jaytree's a, a good punk sticker band you know mm-hmm. that era where punk stickers were the thing there's a lot of these that you'll see around that's right. Anywhere logo is actually, I think it either is or is is their take on an anti-fascist action logo, right? Um, which is which is why which is why you've seen it a lot of places because they are they are I mean they are a vegan straight edge band, but not in the way that they would have been uh, like the people that came out of Discord and became puritanical about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas is is a is a pure anarchist, like proper in squats, right on environmentalist kind of guy. Um, mm-hmm. Um, so they've never signed, obviously never done anything big as a result of that, but that strike anybody's ethos has always been in that kind of area, you know. Interesting. Well, we're not going to, I think that's that's the end of our strike anyway, chat, because we're going <laughs> to move on to the second pick. What is your second song? Uh, I'll do Hot Water Music, God Deciding, and then Chris can have the floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, like I said earlier on, I was going to go with Texas as the reason, um, because their album, uh, Do You Know Who You Are, uh, particularly the song Back Into The Left, was the first thing that popped into my head when I thought about J-Tree. Mm-hmm. But then I found out that I wasn't released in J-Tree records, so it was a bit sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though that is a foundational uh, punk, uh, a foundational emo record. Mate, it still counts, right? Because we mentioned Jawbox in the context of Discord. Yeah. And Jawbox's uh-huh. best stuff wasn't released on Discord, let's be honest. And Texas is the reason we're really key, influential, like important band in the development of post-hardcore and emo. Like, really, really interesting period of it when it's quite raw and very sincere. Um, it's it, So I actually was... I, I liked the fact you were going to mention them, but yeah, unfortunately that, that track in particular wasn't on this. Yeah, because they did a split with The Promise Ring, who are another quite foundational band from that scene, you know. Um, and, and that was on J3 Records, but I'm not as familiar with that as I am with their amazing debut album, Do You Know Who You Are? Uh, so I had to pick something else. So it came down to try to figure out what I really loved, really, really loved. And then the best split EP that's ever been released by any band, any two bands of all time, was released <laughs> on this record label. It was uh, Alkaline Trio and Hobart Music Split. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think it's fucking phenomenal, to be honest. But um, I think, so this is a really interesting time for both these bands. So uh, this is 2002, this record comes out. Alkaline Trio are hot. Um, they've just released uh, From Here to Infirmary. They're, they're getting big. They're on the radio. Uh, that's I mean, that was released on... Asian Man Records, they were on the radio uh, doing that label, that indie label, a good service by just having that sound and getting that push. And it it worked out for them because their next record was on Vagrant Records, uh, Good Morning, um, which is when they really started to obviously become stratospheric. Um, Matt Skiba then joined Blink-182. Alkaline Trio became a really big uh, uh, concern in their own right. Similarly, Hot Water Music had just released, or were just about to release in 2002, the same year this came out, uh, Caution on Epitaph Records. So that was their defining moment as a band as well. So both these bands are in like the, the nexus of when they're both like their, their peak or about to really hit the big time, whatever that means for a, a punk band. I was drawn to this particular song because I saw Hot Water Music in November and they couldn't do a full band set because half the band was stuck in Florida because of the hurricane. 
Mm. Um, so they did a half acoustic set and had some of the support bands play five electric songs. And they and Chuck, the singer, played this song, God Deciding, um, on acoustic. I never thought I'd ever see that song live, let alone Chuck doing it himself. Um, so maybe I'm a bit more emotionally attached to this song than I necessarily should be. <laughs> um, it's a very typical hot, hot water music song. Um, I love the call and response vocal. I love the way the bass just rattles throughout it. It's really syncopated with the drums and it just has this really kind of almost like it's about to break apart quality, which is what I really loved about the early hot water music stuff. The fact that it came out in Jade Tree is just a dicing in the cake for me and the fact that I could talk for this long about this band on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> now, Chris, <laughs> what, what, what do you have to say? Uh, uh, I don't have a it's lot It's not the add. strongest song. I, I'll, I'll, I'll totally admit that, but we know that to be true. Yeah, We've done, we've done an episode on hot water music, at least one episode. It felt like many. and um, <laughs> You enjoyed the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hot, I don't have a massive... You were getting on hot... so well. Yeah, please fall out on our podcast. That'll be <laughs> yeah, good yeah, for yeah, our publicity. Right. No, don't yeah. worry, this is this is the taste of what you Yeah, 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 go, go. <laughs> I don't dislike hot water music. Again, small amounts. That's perfect. They've got some really good stuff. Uh, I don't think this is necessarily it um but hugely influential band again i'm going to be diplomatic uh, because i don't want to weaken our case here um they deserve to be mentioned because they're a very 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 important band in terms of the development of this scene the 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 diversity of the you know vocal styles the incorporation of slightly kind of americana influences into punk music all that kind of stuff yeah they're great they're they're People that love them, love them. I'm very happy for them. Mark is one of them. I love Mark. I'm glad he enjoys them. <laughs> I have probably li- not listened to a Hot Water Music record of my own volition since about 1999. Um, you missed the best period, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it, it, it's not essential to me at all. Uh, I would much rather have selected <laughs> any number of things for this. I do uh, concede that the they should be raised because it's again a really impressive inclusion uh in the pantheon of stuff on jade tree it's one of those bands you're like holy shit like like, like you said about your is it felix like, mm-hmm. like you said about him like it's like holy shit yeah they were involved with that they do count and that is a that's a hefty scalp to have in your back catalog fran were you burnt by hot water music or a bit more lukewarm i'll stop with the puns soon i promise <laughs> please don't you were talking about the call and response i I believe is it Chris Wolland? Wolland is yeah. that his, his name? Yeah. yeah, I think I prefer his vocal. Like, uh, what, what's, yeah. what's the split between lead vocals in the band? Because they do share. Them. Yeah, they do share them. It's actually quite interesting because in this period and before that, Chuck is writing the more angular songs, but mm. more this the period that are now, Chuck is Chuck his voice is going into this like really whiskey soaked like Bruce mm. Springsteen esque yell, and it's phenomenal. It sounds battered. Like he is, do you know what I mean? And but he's also writing more American style stuff, so he's way more singer songwriter now. Back okay. then, Chris Willard was the guy for that, um, so I can totally understand why he'd, why he'd prefer his voice. He's got their best songs as well, I think. It's got a fierce bass line. Um, it didn't inspire me. Um, the lyrics seem quite interesting, but yeah, I, I just wanted to know, like, you know, if 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 this was sung by Chris Willard, would I would I've enjoyed it more? I I I wasn't a massive fan of Chuck's voice, but that's just me. Um, Babs? Uh, I also really didn't like Chuck's voice. Um, I prefer this song to to Lifetime. Again, they're a band that, that I think Felix was into, but I couldn't really remember them. But yeah, I enjoy it when it's instrumental, but I don't enjoy it when his voice comes in and, and the, the, you know, I've, I've written that the melody is tuned, tuned up. I think it packs in a lot for two minutes 37, 
And like Fran, I was very intrigued by the lyrics, very poetic. And Mark, I imagine a song with lyrics like this. So I'll just read a bit from the beginning. Transgressions are made while cowards convey with a demon's ear fixed and set to slay while the statue awaits to be whittled away with a mock of a slogan for hiding filth with fear. Like seeing that acoustically where you can hear the lyrics more and all you have is the, that that really must have hit you uh yeah. hard right um mm. so yeah i i can totally I, I would be very intrigued to to hear this acoustically i think i would like it a lot more well especially his voice has changed so much well not mm. changed so much but it's, it's grown in there a lot more and he's a mm. lot more americana-esque that bit at the end without sight without sound was just it was spine tingling just mm. acoustic it was brilliant I mean, yeah, Fran, I think you normally, when, well, I guess if you have time, if when we go through the playlists, you look at the bands playing live. Did you do that for, for all the bands? Like, did that change some yeah, of your opinions? Yeah, and he uh, dedicated this to his wife. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I listened to um, most of these live. Well, I mean, what is interesting is that usually we like to watch the music videos, and there is not a lot of music videos for these artists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically just a still pitch on YouTube with like two comments saying, best band ever. <laughs> uh- <laughs> both from me, so. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say how many from you. Yeah. One one of them's Mark. One of them's Mark's real account. The other one's Mark's burner account. Yeah, a burner. Yeah, he's got a drunk burner account. Yeah. So yeah, I did watch some live. This is why I noticed the um Figazi live one as well, which was the most impressive one I saw. But yeah, yeah, his voice wasn't great. But I think it was probably from this period, like maybe twenty years ago. So. But yeah, just to just to finish, I I didn't dislike the song. I didn't even dislike Lifetime. I, I, Given that this a lot of this is is post hardcore melodic hardcore, which are genres I normally don't like, I was like very pleasantly surprised that all the songs were were listenable and I, I got some enjoyment out of it. But I guess we're moving maybe a little bit away from more classic punk with your next pick. Yeah, so I believe it's Girls Against Boys. Am yeah. I ta- am I taking the floor here? Yeah, so right. Yours, mate. So let, let, let's get serious about this, right? Because this is. <laughs> This band is fucking brilliant. Actually, I flew to Italy to see this band last year and uh, ended up meeting them. Um, and Scott McLeod, the kind of main cool guy in the band, did a congratulations message for my friend who just had a, a baby, like that day. Uh, and the guy was so overwhelmed by how nice the message was that he started crying spontaneously oh. and sent me a video back of him just crying on the phone. <laughs> Um, I love Girls Against Boys. They're a band with a kind of slightly patchy history. Uh, I think their really early stuff is okay. Um, 80s versus 90s from their their early era doesn't really do a lot for me. Uh, They get into their first kind of album proper, Venus Luxure number one in 93, uh, Cruise Yourself 94, House of GVSB, which was the, 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 the anniversary tour I was seeing in 96, and then Freakonica in 98, which is a very uh questionable move uh they moved to david geffen's uh label um for that and that girls against boys kind of swept up in the big uh, you know early 90s alternative rock feeding frenzy the post nirvana thing where like helmet and all these other basically any alternative thing was getting you dragged into uh, boardrooms and, and money thrown at them and girls against boys were super cool like it was always a big part of their their look they had this they had two bass guitars for starters so they had a kind of unconventional approach wore like shades and leather jackets on stage they were like a little bit out of place but got a lot of sync uh on show so people will probably recognize them from clerks and they were they were they did a lot of stuff with like kevin smith and 
appeared in that kind of thing. They were seen as being quite cool and quite counterculture and zeitgeisty in, in the, the early and mid nineties. Um, again, I really, really like them. They, they rub some people up the wrong way. The Freakonica album made them a lot of enemies, and I think got them dropped. It's their highest selling album, but it got them dropped. Um, but then off the back of that, they brought out this album called "You Can't Fight What You Can't See," and for me. Uh, and this will probably outrage uh, the, the purists, but for me, it's the best record. I think it's fantastic. And it came out in Jade Tree. And that was sort of this band taking quite a humble step down. You know, this band that was seen to have crested and was now in decline, uh, you know, because their Geffen record, whilst it sold okay, was a bit of a critical flop. Well, not a flop, but it got very mixed reviews. Um, and then this, they came back with this record that felt a lot more back to the roots, it wasn't overproduced, it had a lot more focus in the songs. Um, I've picked the track BFF, uh, you know, Best Friends Forever. Uh, forever, please. Best Friends Forever. forever. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I particularly like that song because it's Girls Against Boys at their sort of most melodic. They did a lot of stuff that could be quite druggy and stonery and cool, um, but BFF, they really commit to 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 the musicality of it, they commit to the kind of hookiness of it, and I think it really works for them. Uh, but the the record in general that they brought out is just really great. It starts with a track called Bass Station, which, you know, for a band with two bassists, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's really really banging. Um, the second track in that, All the Rage, they used to have this motif they did in their albums where their second tune would have a really staccato but catchy riff. They did that. Um, but they also had a bit of diversity in this record. Uh, I think there's a track called The Come Down, around about 10 or 11, that's a, a much druggier, slower, quieter affair. It's a very, very, very good record. So albeit they only brought one album out in Jade Tree, for me, it's their best record. Actually, I think there's a very good chance we will do an episode of it on our own podcast because I, I love it and it's overlooked. Um, I mean, they're a little bit overlooked as a band, but it's certainly overlooked within uh, their, their roster of stuff. They have a really interesting sound. They're still going. They they still really work live. They, because the vocals were kind of cool and drawled, you know, the way they did it, it was very like that. Yeah, quite breathy, very New York. It didn't, it, it, did, it meant that when they got older, the vocals didn't suffer. You know, this is a, this is a thing that's happening with a lot of these kind of legacy touring bands. Um, that they're getting to a point in their career where they can't do their vocals. They can't add that same energy. And Girls Against Boys don't have that. They're still playing really, really well. Um, I guess their drummer would probably be the most at risk of fatiguing when he's he's fantastic still. But the vocals still work the same way they always worked. So in a weird way, perhaps by accident, you know, good luck, that approach they took that alienated some people early on has given them a lot of longevity. And so they, they still really work. And yeah, it was really nice to see that. It was really nice to see them still kicking it, still really sounding relevant and like really making the most of these tunes. Um, yeah, and I just wish more people were into them. And I wish more people remembered them for these kind of moments as well and not for some of the kind of lamer sync moments or yeah, that goddamn Geffen album, which was their biggest seller. Mark, what's your view on uh, Girls Against Boys? Um Pitchfork hated this record, which I thought was quite interesting. It sounds like the kind yeah, of so you know it's good. They'd like. I mean, this song is supposed to be cool, right? It's got it's it's got some nice 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 guitar tones to it, nice bass tones. The bass tone is fat like that. The vocal sort of Gen Z slacker vibe just 
tunes. Gen X, man, Gen X. Sorry, Gen X. Sorry, I keep getting that. My letters. They were the Gen X band, by the way. They were. They sound like it as well, mate. They worked with Kevin Smith on Clarks, absolutely. Yeah. Um. That that vocal just pulls me right out of the whole vibe, man. And I just kind of get with it at all. But the fact that this was released on Jade Tree, I think, is definitely another feather in your cap. Absolutely, you know. Um, I, I did listen to this album and there, was, there are a lot of songs in this record that I preferred mm-hmm. so I was a bit, a bit confused as to why you picked this one um, but it's more melodic so it does make exactly. sense exactly yeah um, this this was the melody one and there are more rocky tracks on this and druggier tracks in this but I just like the fact they took a gamble and went for a, a song you could sing there's a big 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 discord vibe with this band as well you know mm. Scott McLeod was in Soulside who were a discord band Brendan Canty was the original drummer he put in Fugazi yeah you can see loads of posters from the 90s of Girls Against Boys on bills with Fugazi and Helmet in the same night and Sonic Youth and stuff it's they were really in there with a lot of these bands just some people were a bit sniffy because it was kind of clear that Girls Against Boys went for a cool vibe and that alienated some of the more kind of slacker bands you know i don't think the melvins probably thought very much of them yeah i mean co- coming to it cold now i never never heard this band before um really properly and uh it, it, it hasn't aged particularly well for me um but it's it's impressive that they went that this was the label they picked after geffen i'm pretty sure they would have had they would have had their their pick of indies after being in geffen do you know what i mean um jade having them on jade Tree, i think is just another reason as to why this record label as underrated yeah Fran had you heard of Girls Against Boys yeah you had right I had it yeah but I was gonna ask um so this is from 2002 right mm-hmm. did their 90s track sound similar to this or was this quite is this more melodic than the usual uh, sound? well this this track is in the kind of the more melodic hmm. uh, area of their sound overall but the the album itself is pretty consistent with certainly Venus Luxure and Cruise Yourself and maybe even House Of. It's not consistent with Freakonica because they moved to a major and overproduced the shit out of that album and it just sounds it sounds slick and slightly plasticky like the nineties. That era where you had like Cooper Temple Claws and all that kind of stuff and it mm-hmm. was just kind of slightly digital recording was coming in. It feels a bit like that, like early era digital recording, not very human. But, but yeah, the the analog sound of the early stuff and this, I think, are pretty consistent. I would happily take Freakonica out of their catalogue, to be honest. Because <laughs> I was going to say, um, it reminded me of Idlewild, and I wonder if Idlewild were influenced by Killers Against Boys. Idlewild uh, were big fans of the alternative 90s yeah. scene, so I think it's hard to imagine they weren't at least familiar, if not keen on them. I mean, the original basis was a Bob Fairfall. I mean, Bob's guitar, uh, bass guitar tone was quite consistent with Girls mm. Against Boys, quite clanky, you know, quite rugged. But yeah, I put down uh, the chilled rock vibes, um, sounds more 90s, um, reminds me of a lot of uh, the Dandy Warhols in the vocal delivery. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, I enjoyed the chorus and it made me want to jump around with a bag of jumper like Woody Womble. So, <laughs> thumbs up for me. Yep. Just miss out Freakonica and go back and check out some of their earlier stuff. Thank you. So, a huge coincidence with this band. So I saved Bulletproof Cupid back in 2019 on Spotify. What a tune. What a Abs- tune. Absolute tune. But completely forgot I had done so until about two weeks ago when I regularly go through my saved tracks. And I was like, well, this is a fucking great track. And then I went to look at the artist info. Who are they on? J3 Records. And I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, we're talking about them. Fantastic. So when 
I went into this to this song. I was like, well, I'm sure it's going to be more like that. And it isn't. It's it's quite different. So at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay. Like, this isn't, you know, with, with Blitproof, you know, it, it gets you in immediately with that guitar line. But I quite enjoyed this, despite it being, yeah, a bit more melodic, like you say. I really like his voice and the way he enunciates the lyrics. As I said, you know, my BFF, my best friends, forever. But then yep. you kind of want to punch him, but you don't. This is the thing, like it, it, he's very loose. I, I feel like the the delivery is somewhere between like sneery and bratty, but I I'm on board, and, and especially the way he delivers, it's great to be a rock and roll star no matter where you are. Yeah, and yeah, I for the longest time I was like, who does he remind me of vocally? And I put, is it something Black Francis, something more grungy? Is this is something more conversational? Even like to, you know going towards, you know, Fred Schneider from the B52s. I I couldn't quite figure it out, but I I think. I think it's an amalgamation of of everything. I think yeah, Lou Reed is is something, and Courtney Territory is something. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed this, but it wasn't at all what I was expecting following Bulletproof Cupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I have to between the two, I much prefer Bulletproof Cupid. But those are now the only two songs I've heard of theirs nine years apart. So I think I need to go and explore a bit more. Yeah, they're they're, they're choppier stuff. They're more riffy stuff is great as well. It's really yeah. it's it's good dance floor indie as well. You can you can yeah. move to. It. Do you listen to albums start to finish? Do you love concept albums? Are you always the first one at a party to bring up King Gizzard? Say no more. The Album Concept Hour podcast has everything you need. We have hot takes. It's like Voltron. (laughs) It's just like Voltron. Ah. It's like Voltron with jazz. This this is emo. This is uh, this is Willie Nelson's emo trip. Bad improv attempts. That was that was. <laughs> Let's all British. do our best Aussie accent. Let's not. Let's alienate all the Australians. <laughs> and sometimes we even learn something. As they listened again and again to the song in the control room, Axel started saying, "Where do we go? Where do we go now? Where do we go?" Shut up. Spencer turned down the music and said, "Why don't you just try singing that?" And thus, the last <laughs> part oh of the song was born. Listen to the album Concept Hour wherever you listen to podcasts. Next pick, a rather long song. <laughs> Goodness. What's your fourth pick? Got my rock pants on. <laughs> uh, yep, uh, this is another one of mine. I'm pleased it, it made 100% the cut. a cross choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's from an album called A New Machine for a Living. I saw Turing Machine by completely by accident at an ATP that was curated by Shellac. Um, in it was when it was down near Wales. I can't remember what one that is. And they were fucking brilliant, uh, absolutely brilliant band. Really, uh, I don't know, like really hard for me to. They just seemed really out of scene. They seemed like they'd missed the boat in so many scenes. And I know a lot of people feel like that about them. And I think it's one of the reasons that they remained so obscure, whilst other bands were succeeding. I mean, I guess Mogwai we were succeed- succeeding over here. You had Slint before them over there. You had slightly more upbeat stuff that came after them, like Maserati. Um, but the Turing Machine just seemed to miss all the boats. Um, it, it isn't helped by the fact that their, their drummer, Jerry Fuchs, uh, F-U-C-H-S, um, Gerhard, I, think, I believe is his real name, but Jerry Fuchs died. He died in a really bizarre accident involving an elevator shaft. I mean, a really horrible, tragic mm-hmm. ending. Um, and they uh, posthumously finished and released an album called what is the meaning of what uh with the stuff that he'd recorded plus a whole load of additional um instrumentation by people like uh lcd sound system um one of the members of the yeah yeah yeah's they they were kind of like a big 
respected band in the underground to the extent where you know peak career lcd and yes would get involved in their stuff um what's his name uh, james murphy mm-hmm. had this album this first album james murphy had actually produced it so it's like you know dfa lcd sound system produced and that over the course got them a little bit more kudos but it didn't really take at the time some of the criticism the contemporaneous criticism was that they were doing something that don caballero had already sort of done a bit um and yeah, for me, they kind of mix that. I mean, Don Caballero, I really like, but they're a lot jazzier. They don't often just kick into a groove, whereas this was like a bit straighter, um, a bit more Krautrock. Um, I think uh, this also had a, a bit more of things like Le Savi Fave in it, a bit more of that accessible thing. I mean, bearing in mind that Le Savi Fave, some of their early stuff, like uh, The Sweat Descends and all that kind of stuff, were quite bass-led and quite club-focused. And Touring Machine, for a long time, tried to get that. This stuff... I don't think is their best stuff. It's on Jade but I thought it was worth mentioning because it showcases how diverse Jade were in their programming. Um, uh, Turing Machine's last album, the posthumous album, What Is It Mean and What, is definitely, for me, their best record. Zwei is good as well. Now, and also, I think Steve Albini was somehow involved in Zwei, although it's not really that easy to find out what he did in it. But certainly, he also programmed them for that uh, that ATP uh the concert um but yeah they they slowly edged towards a dancier crowdier sound after starting with this kind of just kind of like instrumental alternative post-rock thing that they were doing at this point but it's still it's still a good sound it's a little bit long but that's kind of the nature of crowd rock anyway it's all about evolving riffs and getting a wee bit of hypnotic effect going on um and yeah i just i just think they were a little bit overlooked um for me the yeah they, they they kind of fit with stuff some stuff like shipping news and stuff as well just a little bit more direct and driving and aye, i i i feel a bit bad for them i feel like they're a band that got a lot of bad breaks like they had a lot of potential missed a couple of boats had this horrible tragedy with the core member dying lost all their momentum and yeah it's it's a pity but there's some really great stuff in their catalog and if you're somebody that does you know indie disco djing and stuff like that certainly some of the tracks from uh that that last album what is it meaning or what will slip right into a set and people will be dancing and won't even know what it is about how long are the other songs because this is kind of a, an epic yeah the later stuff gets a little bit shorter a little bit more succinct it's like you know four and five minutes they still have the odd epic i mean they've got longer songs in this as well but that was again you know hallow gallo noi all those kind of band you know like those kind of tracks they were all coming in at like 10 11 minutes you know that's that's kind of the nature of the beast mark do you do you agree with chris that they're they're a bit overlooked i think so yeah i mean Jerry Fuchs is certainly a talented drummer. I mean, I never really listened to them before. Chris mentioned them. I mean, a guy could, a guy could fucking play like, um, hundred percent Chris Choice. Like, Kurt Rock meets post rock. Definitely Chris, man, all yeah. over. But um, it's some cracking guitar tones on it. Uh, I really enjoy the driving rhythm, driving the driving rhythm of it as well. Yeah, the fact that this was on J-Tree is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah, and I think that's that's the whole point, right? <laughs> that's the whole point, exactly, of what we're saying. Like, what you have here is the perfect illustration of how J-Tree had a fairly easy option at, at their disposal here, which was, like, stick to a thing. We've got a thing, stick with it, you know. But they didn't. They just kept taking gambles in these, like, far-flung bands. Oh, Girls Against Boys are in the market because they've been dropped by Geffen. Let's approach them and put out something that doesn't sound like it would be on our label. Oh, Turing Machine, this new band, they've got a really interesting sound. Let's try that. And I just, I love that about it. And I think already 
We've got one more to go that's going to really blow the doors off. But already, I think they've 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 you know shown they've shown their cards. They're like we are willing to just put good music out and not be too married to our self-image or other people's expectations of us. I think that's my ideal of a record label being like, we are going because we're excited and we're interested in the music rather than because, you know, it fits into a certain bracket, that's for sure. Fran, rock pants on, rock pants off. Which one? Always uh, off. But yeah, I guess it's hard for a record label to market an a instrumental band, really, isn't it? That's because, also know, in my notes, you know, yeah. Radio play is going to be limited. Um, there's only a few bands you can do it. You mentioned Mogwai, probably... The most famous, maybe in the UK, probably in the world. Yeah, for maybe an instrumental artist. Um, but yeah, I mean, it showcases drummer skills that I was kind of gutted to read what happened to him, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe nine minutes is a little bit too long without any vocals. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I, I certainly in this album, they were a work in progress. The Zwei album is is good. It, it's it's an improvement. I was waiting to, to maybe go somewhere different. It, it didn't really reach anything like a climax or anything. Um, there's some interesting sort of like train horn guitar sounds and some weird things happening. But yeah, no. But I, I mean, I listened to it three times. I didn't skip it. So yeah, I found it. I found it interesting. Now you've mentioned they have other other sides to them. I might go back and check out the other tracks. But yeah, Babs. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that, Frank. Because I thought I thought you might hate this precisely because I might have thought that you you thought it didn't go anywhere. I really, yeah, I really enjoyed it because I think it creates a world for you to get lost in, right? So that, and I think it does go somewhere because it does build to these incredible drums, as you say. Even the fact that it, when it finishes, it doesn't finish completely. There's this kind of 20 seconds of this weird synth sound because it's like it's been building, building, building. It's it's almost like, okay, we're going to let you back into the world, but not completely. We're going we're gonna to finish with this. So I was, yeah, I was really impressed. And again, this was a left turn, but nothing like the next left turn that, that we're going to go on. Um, but yeah, obviously, unsurprisingly, this playlist is already showcasing much more diverse sounds. Yeah. Can I just say for anybody that is curious about checking out their other stuff, including you guys, uh, check out either Slave to the Algorithm or Sex Ghost. Um, <laughs> Good <laughs> bit... titles. Yeah, yeah. Spell, I th- spell with a C or S? Uh, it starts with an S, uh, but that's going to change shortly. Uh, yeah, Sex Ghost, controversially starting with an S, uh, but both are really, really good and a bit more immediate. Okay, great. Speaking of immediate. Mm-hmm. Speaking of sex. Speaking of sex, yeah. <laughs> I think Fran made a joke that he'd visited the shop before. I was going to say the only yeah. a, a, like band in Jaytree is so good, they have an entire chain uh, named after them. So who has picked this one and wants to introduce it? Guess. <laughs> shocked <laughs> so yeah this is a uh, kill me by sex um yeah did they i think this guy must have like um built his sounds from machines that he found in sex right <laughs> uh for for non-british people can because i actually don't know what sex is it's a, it's like a it's a shop right it's a second-hand yeah. store but people who work there are people who probably go to reading festival every year yeah is that, exactly. is that kind of why <laughs> Yeah, they do like tech. They do tech and, and video games and DVDs and CDs and stuff. Yeah, Visual, was it computer but... exchange? Computer yeah, exchange. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It. Mm-hmm. So the yeah the 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 artist is called Sex S E X. Sex with with a C E X. Yes, and can we also point out that Sex's first album was called was Cells with a C. So Sex Cells, which I think see what you're doing there deserves a round of applause. Sex is a, a really interesting project. This track is from the album Marland Mansions, right? So Marlon mm-hmm. Manson, 
but it's Maryland. So if you're mispronouncing the state, it says Maryland Mansions, but it's not. It's Marlin Mansions because he likes to do shit like that. Um, it's actually kind of the project of one one person, Ryan. Uh, is it Claybrook Kidwell? I think his name is. He started this in '98 when he was 16 years old, and uh, since then, Sex CXX has become sort of interchangeable with him as a person but not entirely because there are periods in the band's history where it's expanded into a bigger lineup and actually the sound has changed quite a bit um as i said the first album sells um is weirdly experimental electro it, fuck it's like 73 minutes long in fact the, the early records are all quite long they're, they're pretty challenging in that respect but musically especially given he was a 16 year old those, those early records are really fucking good. Second album, Role Model, 70 Minutes, 2000 it came out. Electro with like hints of Aphex Twin um, and and totally decent, like totally decent stuff. If you're into Aphex Twin, I don't think you would turn your nose up at it. Uh, third album, Oops, I Did It Again, um, where he starts <laughs> to have a little bit of fun with the titles and stuff. Um, a lot of the stuff that they do is pretty tongue-in-cheek, admittedly. Uh, 2001, it's a little bit sparser, quite percussive, um, actually has a lot of like trip hop in it. It's got a real Bristolian vibe to it, and all of that early period of this band or this project was classified as IDM, as that intelligent dance music, as as David right would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, I mean, not long after he was collaborating with Venetian Snares, another band we covered or another project we covered on our our podcast, the Canadian sort of trip hop break beaty electronic insani. project, basically insani. Yeah. So like. Immediately, like we're talking about an IDM band, and yet this is coming out on a label like Jade Tree. And whilst this album, well, Marilyn Mansions, doesn't sound as electro as that, it's a bit more, it straddles it. It's also just a bit more oddball. Like it has fun with weird vocals and things like that. It's still like completely left field. And at this point, um, Sex or uh, Ryan, uh, Rian, Ryan, um, was his live shows became pretty unhinged. There was sort of like a slightly Beck vibe to him. Like it was altered. He was very much playing with a lot of the tropes of the genre, like leaning into them, but also kind of a lot of it was quite ironic. You never really knew. Um, the live shows, he started to freestyle a lot of vocals. And apparently that one of the things was that the vocals were very, they were into their braggadocio. So it was like sort of a satire of hip hop, what hip hop was becoming at the time. He would like strip down his pants on stage, this like kind of runty guy, you know, just bit bragging and pointing at the crowd and playing up to this character. There's there's a lot of like weird irony and performance art in it. He wanted to really create something that was a much bigger, more engaging conceptual act. And again, just as a reminder, this is on a label that was putting out Lifetime. You know what I mean? This is on a label that was putting out melodic hardcore and stuff like that. And it was really, like, really odd to me that this was in there. I first get into sex. <laughs> Clipping that. There's another clip for you. Yeah. yeah um, I for, uh, this, that's in a long way, Marks. There's too many blacks. <laughs> I first get into this when I was using a site called Epitonic. And Epitonic was a sort of file sharing site, but it was like a voluntary file, sh- file sharing site. This is when I got Blonde Redhead and stuff like that. And you kind of would go down a little, you know, wormhole or a little rabbit hole rather. Um, and it would link you to this and link you to that. And because I was listening to Sonic Youth and then I was listening to shipping news and stuff, suddenly I'm listening to sex and I didn't know why. And it was because of the Jade Tree link. And so Jade Tree in its own way by having this on its catalogue via this medium of epitonic 
brought me to this whole world of like experimental ironic electronic music that i hadn't really ever fucked with before and in its own way that kind of expanded my palette a little bit i was like i quite like this i didn't like everything but i quite liked it it was taking a lot of chances and it was a cool way to find it um so yeah he ended up going on tour with people like death cab for cutie i think he went on tour with dismemberment plan um who i'll give a quick shout out to in a minute um and the kind of all indie and emo links kind of grew as he was this kind of oddball opening act for these much more conventionally indian emo acts um he i think he did another couple of albums the year after including marlon mansions um, he toured with the postal service which is obviously a kind of more electronic offshoot was it death cab that guy was from yeah and and so again kind of straddling the lines between indie and electronic at this point and then eventually he ended up putting stuff out that was much more overtly indie i think he formed like a trio with somebody from kale parks from joan of arc was that it joan of arc right so he he kind of collaborated in a more expanded lineup and it became like much more conventional music for a while and then it went back again and it's always been a quite a malleable project and I, i like that about it it's very odd it's inconsistent if you're somebody that wants this album to sound like the previous album you're not going to get that but it kind of forces you to, to reckon with musical styles and sounds that you maybe haven't and for me you know that epitonic period when i was just like i was about 20 years old it was really good for me to hear that you know and it was really good for me to be challenged in that way um so yeah he's a big fan of nine inch nails especially early nine inch nails like pretty hate machine broken period so whilst the music isn't as heavy as that there's a lot of those kind of tropes in it um but it also makes it quite a lot of fun yes it's a really interesting track by an interesting artist the next album's called actual fucking which i fucking (laughs) that's right yeah it's a good record as well yeah um but yeah i guess having that emo connection and being from washington it seems like you might actually be filmed from dc as well which explains the the jt like hook up there there's something emo about the chorus in this song and the delivery a lot of it's rapping um but when he does a little bit of singing it kind of feels a bit emo um and there's just some absolutely mental sounds on this some mm-hmm. of the synths are almost discordant it's very nine inch nails very nine inch nails um i really liked it uh there's a record by a band or a duo called idea and abilities uh, called by the throat which is a uh, sounds a bit like this and then in sort of late 2000s there was a couple of artists who were doing like industrial style indie hip-hop and other ones cage um, and they were doing stuff like this um, not as overtly abrasive as this but a lot of similar sounds can be found in those kind of records Um, by that by the throat record by idea and abilities was uh, as their last album and it's as it like there is you can hear I don't know their influence, but you can definitely hear similarities between those kind of records anyway. Um, you know, I love hip-hop, and this does kind of come close to hip-hop in terms of the flow for me. So yeah. I did quite like this song. And again, it's just mind-blowing that this is on uh, Tree Records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's another one that slips into an indie disco. If you're DJing, you can slam really? it on. And you get really? a lot of people... No, honestly, you, you wow. get you, it's one of those ones that you get people coming up to the desk and be like, what the fuck is this? This is mad. And like a bunch of his stuff is like that. That you can you can slip it into these sets and it works. It goes with the flow. It's good as a transition. See if you're trying to go from like hip hop into something a bit more guitar based. Mm. It's great because of that harshness, that 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 roughness that it's got to. It helps smooth that. It helps graduate towards a different sound in a set. Yeah. Now, Fran, this is the song I was most looking forward to hearing from you about. What did you think? <laughs> so it's spooky. Certainly. My mum, my mum would hate it. I enjoyed industrial emo 
Um, I like fucked up weird indie shit. It also has a fucked up weird music video. The only music video I could find out of all the artists. Mm -hmm. So that was fantastic. And there's a performance artist um, called Jocelyn Allen who danced to songs whilst wearing like a cat hat. And randomly, she dances to this. Because <laughs> usually it's like YMCA and like big like bangers. So how the fuck that got on her radar? So for foot, so when you mentioned indie discos, yes, you can dance to it. There's literal evidence on YouTube of someone dancing to uh, to kill me. So yeah, I quite enjoyed this in a bizarre way, Babs. Oh, well, I wondered because yeah, before I even knew about his love for Nine Inch Nails, I I wrote exactly that. I wrote especially when you know it obviously goes wild and then calms down again. And then I said it reminded me of. Um, Whatever the name of the song is that Little Nas X sampled for Otan Road, that's a Nine Inch Nails song. But because I think, like you say, Mark, there's definitely hip hop elements, and I, Fran isn't such a big fan, and there's really a lot of shock. Like I, I will read you out my notes, kind of point by point. Well, holy shit, this took a turn I wasn't expecting, both in terms of genre in the playlist and what you're expecting when the song starts. It's acoustic instruments with a kind of blurry synth. Okay, I'm uneasy. What's going to happen? Dirty, filthy synths. Man, start shouting and panting. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah the the fact that it, you know it calms down and then he comes back shouting things aren't getting better everything is only getting worse and there's a sort of haunted accordion and i was like wow this is an assault on the on the senses i i loved it i absolutely loved it i thought this was really original and when something like this hits me i always go and wonder well what kind of genre is this um you know we've talked about industrial emo i think wikipedia classifies this album as dark wave electronica underground rap sure um and chris i wondered for me the most obvious comparison i wonder if you'll agree hyper christmas tree fuzz absolutely me. you know yeah. I, was, I was going to say this this is one of those things that takes me back to the episode we did on millionaire yeah. because there are a lot of not necessarily sonic similarities but like sensibilities similarities the willing to the willingness to subvert the willingness to be a little bit funny but also accomplished in your your musicality mm -hmm. and just generally unsettle your audience i think it's the same with millionaire you know they do it as mm -hmm. well and yeah some of the, the offshoots and then even and it's, it's it's got that kind of weird off kilter belgian vibe so the way it's yeah. soul wax fuck with people's expectations as well it is just it doesn't fit and I think that was the thing that defined that episode we did. And I think mm -hmm. it defines this. It doesn't fit. He's an eccentric. Um, and that's also why I think, you know, Beck obviously met with a lot more success. But I think Beck was coming from a similar place. Like mm -hmm. a kind of a, both a love, a sincere love and an ironic love of the tropes and trying to, to meld that to be funny but to also do justice to what you're doing and yeah i, I mean i whilst i don't but i don't listen to this a lot i'm going to be clear it's not something i'm buying on you don't really you know brushing your it. teeth in the morning you don't you don't want to put yeah. uh, the both self i mean the lyrics are so self-loathing it's quite <laughs> astounding uh i was going to read them out but i think we then we finish on a well i mean i i love that i love listening to depressing music to to get in the mood but no don't i wanna, don't want to finish on a trigger warning yeah. <laughs> yeah. um but no hyper christmas tree fuzz for me because i i don't know if you've seen sex live another one but uh, i saw hyper christmas tree <laughs> fuzz live and when when you see them live like the industrial element is really you really fucking feel it in the room and i thought sex would fit right in there and uh but yeah i'm i'm glad friend that you liked it i i wouldn't have expected it um can i actually just shoehorn something in very quickly here so obviously mark and i made a collaborative playlist here and i got i got the, the lion's share i got three of the five but there were there were two that i would really like to have had in here that didn't make it in there and i, I don't begrudge mark his choices he's he, he deserves his moment in the sun but um these arms are snakes are on this label 
and I think these arms of snakes are whilst they're not botch, they're a band that came after botch and met with like a lot of uh good feedback, a lot of good press, a lot of credibility. Um that album Auctioneers or The Line Sleeps When It's Antelope Goes Home came out on this label and that's probably their best record. Um, a track on that that you might want to check out which is relevant to us Babs is Angela's Secret where the bass is very musy um, this is Brian Cook from uh, Botch at his, you know, not maybe not at his best but certainly trying to branch out and do something new and they were a, another great band to feature under that umbrella and the last one we talked about it way back at the start uh, Pedro the Lion um, Pedro the Lion which is kind of like sad boy kind of indie alt stuff but he had a real ear for a tune um the the album uh achilles heel i believe came out on jade tree uh foregone conclusions from that a really lemon headsy style song miles away from what sex are doing really well done um also uh jade tree used to put out these uh collections called uh Location is Everything, um, and the uh, Pedro the Lion inclusion on Location is Everything Volume 1 is a track called Rapture, um, and I think it was also on their album Control uh, in 2002. It sounds a bit like Far. It's a really great little underproduced indie emo thing. Maybe, yeah, really, really good. And so I, 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 there were multiple choices we could have put on this that we didn't choose from mm-hmm. our list and every one of them was pushing in a slightly different direction whether it was like some kind of weird pervy nine inch nails beck thing over to this thing that sounds like the lemon heads over to this super cool new york alternative rock over at this like lifetime being this like down the line respected melodic hardcore band j tree took a lot of chances with the roster they didn't rest on the laurels they didn't try and play it safe it didn't necessarily work out for them Maybe not entirely their fault. You know, they were coming after Discord as well. But the big crash in the value of, of music, basically. You know, like I said, I found it on Epitonic. People, we were already downloading MP3s overnight. You know, Napster was happening. It's maybe not entirely on them that they didn't take. They were they, they just coming after that peak period of sales. And when you build this established fan base, they didn't have that luxury that, that Discord had. But I, I really feel that jade tree whether you love as many albums on jade tree uh, as you do in discord they deserve plaudits for how bold they were and how they took that model of discord and decided to try and push the boat out a wee bit and try and represent something a bit broader um you know and see where it got them uh i think with the shohan came a very nice closing argument as well so so thanks chris they're very very passionate too mark anything to add yeah, I mean, like like Chris, there was a lot of bands I would have picked that were not the bands that he picked that also pushed in different directions, you know. One that springs to me for me is Breather Resist, who are a mathcore band that were produced by Kurt Ballou. Their first record, Charmer, is equally as like, mental as the early Dillinger Escape Plan stuff, you know, and that's that's really heavy and really weird. Um, Jordan Matranga's best work is on this record label, New End Original. That album, Thriller, I think is perfect pop rock, you know. Um, is that so, not the, but with the backing band not largely Texas is the reason pretty much yeah, yeah. Um, but it doesn't sound like anything like Texas is the reason which is pretty cool um, definitely sounds like Jonah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then obviously bands like Joan of Arc and Captain Jazz Captain Jazz I mean you can't we can't we can't leave this podcast without mentioning the absurd yeah. influence Captain Jazz have had 
on post-hardcore and emo bands. Mm. That sound, that mathy sound, a lot of bands have been doing. They started doing it in the mid-90s in 1995, you know what I mean? Bands are still doing that now. Um, I think for me, uh, the fact that J-Tree never really mentioned that in the same breath as as, as having a, deep and st- a strong and deep roster, not just compared to record labels like Discord, but also bigger indies like Asian Man Records, who, if you're a punk fan, you'll know for a lot of influential punk bands, or even like Epitaph or Vagrant, you know, um, these labels who have released some really great records by a lot of, you know, really great bands and really popular bands that they went on to have a lot of popularity. And um, the fact that Jade Tree just kind of, because I think it's probably because it kind of vanished for a bit mm. and people just kind of forgot that they were that, that all these records were released by them. And then obviously Epitaph was, was kind of trying to bring it back into focus now. Um, I think for me, there's no denying the fact that they're underrated because whether whether it's a band like Girls Against Boys who put out one record or it's a band like Lifetime who started out and did their entire career on it, you know, that I think that the amount of roots and the amount of different you know, influence they've had in so many different genres, I think is a testament to how um how powerful this label ha- is, you know. Dan, before you give your opinion, I wanted to ask you, because I've been pondering this throughout this record, like, are you someone who, when you discover a record label or when you discover a band that you like on a record label, do you then go on the website or the Wikipedia page to see all the other bands on it or do you not do that very much? I am currently uh, on Wikipedia now, double checking record labels to see the roster. There we go. <laughs> Already had an influence on it. Because guys. I was about to ask you: Is there a record label you would say are underrated yourself? Me? Yeah. Oh God! See, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not knowledgeable enough about any record label in particular. Like, like when I think about what are the record labels that I know that bands are on, they're all the classic indie ones, like Matador, Four OD, you know, Mute, Bloody Blah. But it's like I, yeah, I. I sometimes do that, but not very often. And it's just been so interesting to hear you guys talk so passionately and knowledgeably about like an entire record label's output. You know, it's it's not not just the back. You don't just know the bands that you like. You know, a lot of other bands. I I don't think I have that. So yeah, I I I was really intrigued to do this as a kind of format of you know pitting two record labels against each other. But yeah, I I think it's something that if I do, I don't do it. Um, in a in a completionist kind of way i dip in and out what about you yeah so i mean i would say mute but i can't really say a mute underrated but they're probably too, they're probably too popular these days so yeah so i, I was going through like other, other indie labels but unfortunately like fierce panda it doesn't give me enough bands on there to really there's, there's a, a record label called alcapop at the moment yeah 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 they're great yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. maybe i'll yeah i'll, I'll pick up alcohol if i yeah, have to yeah, choose yeah. one actually I, I, well and also obviously we've got to big up jazz life of uh of ben hampson and blood red shoes and all the mm-hmm. bands that we've talked about a million times oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 but yeah so overrated or underrated jade uh tree definitely underrated i i enjoyed four out of the five tracks so thank you for introducing me um yeah i i, I barely had heard of girls against boys and I def- that was my favourite track on the playlist, so I definitely will be getting back to checking them out. So thanks, Chris, for choosing that track. And thank you, Mark, for uh, introducing me to some other mad emo. <laughs> I thought maybe you listen to again. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? You'll be hitting on the punks, man. You'll be hitting on the punks. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. For me, it was I think it was more three, three out of the five um, rather than four, but... I really, I really, really enjoyed those songs. Yeah, I think, 
Girls Against Boys and Sex a highlight. I'm really intrigued. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to go and, and dip into the whole back catalogue anytime soon. Yeah, I, I think I'm always thinking in my mind enough and discussing with Fran how much to dip into artists versus albums. And I think one of the reasons why I don't really go into record labels like that is because I just get very overwhelmed if I see that, oh my God, I like this record label, there's 40 bands. What? Okay, am I going to listen to the 40 bands individually? Am I going to go into an album? Ah, and then I, and then I just leave it, um, which is why I much prefer to do this podcast where knowledgeable people curate something and then we can go and listen to it and, and dip in and out as as is. Um, what I wanted to say is I was looking, I don't know if you guys know, but obviously for each episode, we have a playlist and on our playlist, we put the songs on the playlist. But then I put songs from every band mentioned. And as you guys mentioned band <laughs> after band, I was like, <laughs> I think this is, I was, I looked through all the lists. The longest list we have is 106 songs. It's uh, cause I, comp- I combined our Eurovision playlist together. I reckon this is going to be 200 or 250. So <laughs> thank you very much, Mark and Chris, for coming on. What, please plug your podcast, your record labels, anything else you'd like to take it away. <laughs> well, we, we're literally think, recording yeah. tomorrow night. So yeah. <laughs> another three-hour sesh in the often. Yeah, I think I think our record labels are dead, so let's not promote them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> much like any other label that doesn't mm. use contracts, except Discord, they're yeah. long since dead. Um, yeah, I, I was in debt for about 10 years because I had a record <laughs> Yeah, uh, we are, as we mentioned, we are doing a podcast this week on Perturbator. We've just released a podcast on three of the most painful records that you could ever listen to. Uh, basically, we have a feature where the three hosts, myself, Mark, and Vicky, who's not here, um, we go to the pound store or a charity store and buy each other a record for a pound and have to give it like the proper treatment and try and engage with it. So this week we did Ed Sheeran's Divide. Uh, wow, Deacon, I would not expect you to do that, yeah. Deacon, Deacon Blue's Rain Town and Ms. Dynamite's something or A little other. deeper. A little, a little deeper. deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It backfired because we thought it would be really <laughs> funny by trolling the others by getting them terrible records and forgot that we were also going to have to listen to them. Um, and the episode turned out great. We had a really, really good time listening to it. It was very funny. There were a couple of bits that we had to bleep out. But you know what? That's how you know it was a good episode. So uh, if you do just want to laugh, go and listen to that. Um, and your you podcast name is? <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fundamentals. Yeah. Mark? It's Unsung Podcast. Uh, we try to uh, some of yourselves, we try. We kind of try to shine a light on either unsung artists or the unsung albums in an artist catalogue, such as Ed Sheeran, such as Ed Sheeran, obviously, <laughs> clearly, you know. Um, and we've we've covered some of the bands we spoke about in this podcast. Um, some of the bands that we've spoken about will also do in the future. We've run the gauntlet from everything from Queens of Stone Age most recently. Say, I don't know what's the weirdest thing we've ever done. The Dirty Three, Venetian um, Snares, Dirty Three, snares. yeah. Uh, we've done a bunch Meshuggah. of hip hop as well. Um, yeah. yeah, so Lil Kim we did that recently, that was a highlight. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know, we, we tried to keep it as broad as possible and as diverse as possible. So, uh, there's probably an album by a band that you like on there. Obviously, Fran and I would say that a great place to start is, of course, with the Muse Origin of Symmetry episode. 100%. Yeah. Or the Millionaire Outside the Simeon Flock episode that we've guested on. Um, yep. And uh, on social media, what are your handles? Unsung Pod, everywhere, everywhere you go. It's, mm-hmm. And the website's unsungpod.net. So it's Unsung Pod for everything. Thank you so much for coming on and schooling us in all the flavors of punk, hardcore, and emo. <laughs> Unsung and underrated. We're out. Good night, everyone. Have a good evening. Night, night.
And that completes our punk label classic with Unsung Podcast, Chris and Mark. Thank you, guys. And if you are a fan of punk, we have another over-unrated punk special in season one for you to check out. Thanks again for downloading, streaming this episode. Please like and subscribe. And also you can get in touch with us on social media. We are on Twitter at OUMusicPod, Instagram at OverUnderatedMusicPod, and we are also on Gmail at OverUnderatedMusicPod at gmail.com. Until next time, bye-bye.